Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Historical True Crime the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host Lizzie, and today is episode 59. We're going to delve into the dark and mysterious events surrounding one of America's most perplexing unsolved crimes, the Villisca Axe Murders. Prepare yourself for a journey into the heartland of Iowa, where a seemingly ordinary town became the backdrop for a gruesome tragedy that continues to haunt the depths of true crime history. On the night of June 9, 1912, the small town of Villisca was forever changed. Eight people, including six children, met a horrifying and violent end in their own home. Victims of a merciless killer wielding an axe. To this day, the Villisca axe murders remain shrouded in mystery, a puzzle that has confounded investigators, amateur sleuths, and true crime enthusiasts for over a century. In this episode, we'll navigate through the eerie shadows of the past, exploring the details of that fateful night and the subsequent investigations. What drove someone to commit such a heinous act, and why did the killer seemingly vanish without a trace? Join us as we unravel the threads of this unsolved mystery, examining the theories, suspects, and lingering questions that continue to cast a haunting shadow over the town of Villisca. Located in the hills of southwest Iowa, Villisca was once a thriving railroad town with around 2,500 residents. Today, it's a small rural village with around roughly 1,300 people. But in the early 1900s, the town had a number of hotels, restaurants, shops, theaters, and manufacturers. Along with more than two dozen passenger and freight trains that stopped at the depot daily. This vibrant neighborhood was home to one of Villisca's most well-known businessmen, Josiah B. Moore. He was a fierce rival to other local companies as the owner and operator of the Moore Implement Company, a John Deere franchise. On December 6, 1899, Josiah would tie the knot with Sarah Montgomery at her parents' house, and together the couple would have four children, Herman, Catherine, Boyd, and Paul. Josiah, often called by his nickname JB, and his wife Sarah were well-liked members of the town involved in the Presbyterian church and seen as helpful and kind to their neighbors. The family would go to church on Sunday, June 9, 1912. That night included the yearly Children's Day program, which Sarah had organized. Catherine, then only nine years old, invited sisters Ina, seven, and Lena, 12, over for a sleepover that evening. The girls agreed, and the Moore family and the Stillinger sisters arrived home from church around 9.45 to 10 p.m., after the event had ended around 9.30. According to Serena for AllThat'sInteresting.com, the Moore family were soundly asleep in their beds on June 10, 1912. The four Moore children slept in a room down the hall from Joe and Sarah, who were asleep upstairs, and the two other girls, the Stillinger sisters, were staying over in a guest room on the first floor. A little after midnight, a stranger would enter through the unlocked door. 
this wouldn't have been that uncommon in a small and supposedly safe community. He would take an oil lamp from a nearby table and adjust the flame so low that it's barely able to illuminate a single person. The stranger would carry the lantern, which lit a path through the home in one hand, and in the other, he had an axe. The man would head upstairs following the light from his lamp and his apparent uncanny sense of the layout of the house, at first ignoring the girls asleep downstairs. He would tiptoe across the children's room and into the bedroom of Mr. and Mrs. Moore. He then proceeded to the children's bedroom before making his way back downstairs to the final bedroom. And in each room, he would commit brutal murders. The man would then disappear as swiftly and soundlessly as he arrived, taking with him the house keys and shutting the door behind him. The world would then soon learn of the incredibly horrific Velisca Axe murders. It was when the neighbors noticed the typically noisy home was quiet the following morning that they began to suspect that something was wrong. Joe's brother arrived to have a look after the neighbors had informed him that the house was eerily silent. What he found is beyond words. All eight people in the home had been severely bludgeoned to death. After the murders, the killer seemed to engage in a macabre ritual. The Moore's parents' heads were covered with sheets, and the children's faces were concealed with clothing. The entire house was shrouded in darkness as the murderer covered mirrors and windows with cloths and towels. In a bizarre twist, a two-pound piece of uncooked bacon was placed in the living room along with a keychain. And a bowl of water tainted with spirals of blood was discovered in the home. It's believed that the murderer had washed his hands before leaving the crime scene. And as news of this gruesome crime spread, the community's morbid curiosity led over a hundred townspeople to trespass through the blood-spattered home. Some would even take souvenirs, like a fragment of Joe's skull. Law enforcement lost control of the crime scene, allowing chaos to reign. The investigation revealed that the eight victims were killed shortly after midnight, with Lena being the only one who appeared to have fought back, sustaining a defensive wound on her arm. The attack was so brutal that the ceilings even had gouge marks from the upswing of the axe. And the murder weapon, Josiah Moore's own axe, was found in the guest room. Evidence suggested it was used on the Stillinger girls who were the last to be killed. Although attempts were made to wipe it off, the axe remained bloody. The aftermath of the Velisca axe murders was marked by fear and paranoia. The town, once united, became divided as families partnered with neighbors for night patrols. Windows were nailed shut, and every lock in town was sold out. Reporters, private detectives, and even bloodhounds were brought in as the community struggled to make sense of the senseless violence. And despite a massive manhunt, the murderer eluded capture, leaving the town in a perpetual state of fear and suspicion. One of the first suspects in the investigation was a local businessman, Frank Jones. Jones and Joe Moore had a history, a professional rivalry that extended beyond the confines of the business world. Joe had worked for Jones for seven years in the farm equipment sales business before branching out on his own to start a competing business. The townspeople whispered about a deeper animosity between the Moore and Jones families, claiming that a hatred had festered over the years. Rumors even suggested a romantic entanglement, alleging that Joe Moore was having an affair with Jones's daughter-in-law. However, it's crucial to note that these reports were ultimately unfounded. According to Alexander for Legends of America, another suspect was Reverend George Kelly, 
a wandering clergyman who just so happened to be a teacher at the Presbyterian Church on June 9, 1912, during the Children's Day services. The small, twitchy-looking minister was known to be unstable and possibly a child molester. He had departed from Velisca quite early on the day of the killing, but it was not because of these circumstances that an investigation was launched. Instead, it was his fixation with the murder that drew the attention of police. His fixation led to a series of long, meandering letters that he would write to private investigators, state and local investigators, and even the victim's family. Two weeks after the murder, he planned to stay over on Monday and visit the murder house on his next preaching trip to Villisca. Within a month, authorities began to look into him after learning he had been spotted prowling the streets late at night in many places and had even been spotted peeking into a woman's bedroom only days before the murder. Additionally, he had at least three times asked young women to pose in their underwear for him. A troubled mental state was also mentioned, along with his sexual preoccupation and the bloody clothing he sent to be laundered only the week following the murder. In April 1917, Kelly was taken into custody. As the trial approached, state representatives made a last-ditch effort to get him to confess. And on August 31, 1917, following a lengthy interrogation session, Kelly did confess. According to the confession, he couldn't sleep the night of the murder and went for a walk, during which he peered through the window to watch the Stillinger girls getting ready for bed. He then said he heard the Lord's voice commanding him to suffer the children to come unto me. Kelly's trial began on September 4th, 1917, but it ended on September 28th due to an 11 to 1 stalemate on the jury's verdict of not guilty. After a retrial in November, Kelly was again found not guilty of any crimes. By the time the trial had actually started, the majority of Montgomery County residents believed that Kelly was actually being set up as part of a Frank Jones-led conspiracy. They believed that Jones had attempted to use his wealth and power to sway the jurors. And the possibility of a serial killer was also considered early on in the investigation. A string of similar murders occurred in the Midwest, rising fears of a pattern. However, interest in the serial killer theory waned, and the trail grew cold. Transient individuals like a man named Andy Sawyer and a suspected serial killer, Henry Lee Moore, were also considered. Sawyer's fascination with the newspaper headlines about the Velisca murders and his strange behavior caught the attention of authorities. Still, he was eventually dismissed as he had a tight alibi, placing him in a different town altogether on the night of the crime. Henry Lee Moore, though suspected in several gruesome killings, was never definitively linked to the Velisca Axe murders. In 1917, investigators reluctantly gave up and the case remains unsolved to this day. Now, according to Ramsland for Crime Library, in a documentary about the Velisca Axe murders, former FBI profiler Robert Ressler discusses how he might have profiled the murder. He said the murderer was most likely a strong man in his mid to late 30s who suffered from a mental illness that was probably borderline rather than full-blown insanity. A wrestler refrained from expressing a view on which of the suspects could have been more in line with his beliefs, though it's obvious that the Reverend Kelly, given his small stature, would not have fit this profile. Henry Lee Moore seems more like a solid candidate for this crime, 
and the Midwest axe murder spree seems to have ended when he was finally put in jail. Even though it's not hard proof evidence of his guilt, it's certainly suggestive. Given that he was found guilty of using an axe to kill two individuals in a double homicide, it is reasonable to consider Henry Lee Moore the most likely suspect. Nevertheless, given that the towns where these killings took place were close to railroad tracks, if the perpetrator in Villisca was in fact a serial killer, he could have arrived and departed on the trains with ease. In 2017, Bill James and his daughter, Rachel McCarthy James, released their book, The Man from the Train, and the Villisca murders became a focal point in their investigation, which led them to a chilling revelation, the possibility of a single serial killer behind a string of homicides that would span over a decade. Bill and Rachel proposed that Paul Mueller, or Miller, an immigrant possibly from Germany, could have been the elusive murderer. Mueller had already been a prime suspect in the 1897 slaying of a family in West Brookfield, Massachusetts, who had employed him as a farmhand. Despite a year-long manhunt, Mueller had managed to evade capture. The book would go on to describe a killing spree that would claim the lives of at least 59 people in 14 separate incidents over a decade. As Bill and Rachel delved into the details, they would uncover striking similarities between the Velisca Axe murders and other crimes attributed to Mueller. The common feature in these murders were that they were brutal axe attacks, families slain in their own homes, and they painted a chilling picture of a serial killer with a distinct modus operandi. The Jameses began connecting the dots, building a compelling case that Mueller was not only responsible for the Velisca tragedy, but was the elusive man from the train. Their theory presents a haunting narrative of a killer who traversed the country, leaving a trail of devastation in his wake. But again, no one has ever officially been charged for this crime, and while there are prevailing suspect theories like the ones we've covered, the case still remains unsolved. But there is an interesting twist. Some of you might be wondering what happened to the house after these horrific murders in Villisca. The Moore family had originally bought the home in 1903, although it had been constructed originally in 1868. And about eight different people would own the home after the Moore family murder. That was until Mr. and Mrs. Darwin Lynn would purchase the home in 1994. By then, the house was almost condemned due to its severe deterioration but the historic house was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 1998 after the Lynn family restored it to its original state. But the house is not a family home today. Paranormal enthusiasts and thrill-seekers alike will visit the Velisca Axe Murder House, as it's now known, where reports of unexplained activity abound, whispers in the night, mysterious shadows, and the feeling of an ominous presence the echoes of a crime that had seeped into the very fabric of the house. The murder house is now a kind of spooky hotel that will charge around $500 for overnight stays for parties of six or fewer. The lodging is basic. In fact, it's advised that visitors bring their own sleeping bag, not that they'll be sleeping much. And it's no surprise that the house is considered haunted, so much so that it frequently ranks among the top 10 most haunted locations in the United States. Again, according to Alexander for Legends of America, the house has a lengthy history of unexplained paranormal activity. Previous tenants have reported hearing children cry, seeing bloodied shoes, seeing a shadowy guy with an axe standing at the foot of their beds, 
and finding clothing scattered around the room and removed from drawers and closets. A man once described how, as he was sharpening a knife, it suddenly turned on him and stabbed him in the thumb. He described the sensation as though someone was holding his wrist. Numerous paranormal investigations have been carried out since the property was made available for tours and overnight stays, and the results are purported to include photographic, video, and oral evidence of paranormal activity. The Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures crew recorded a man saying, I killed six kids when they were investigating the house. Others who have visited the home have claimed to have heard whispers, banging noises, fallen lamps, and things that seem to move on their own. They've also claimed to have heard the voices of children when there are none in the home. And in the attic where the murderer is said to have hidden while waiting for the family to go to sleep, several people have claimed to feel an evil presence. According to one account, a woman was stopped when she attempted to access the attic by an unidentified force. And so if you wish to have your own paranormal experience or visit the Velisca Axe Murder House, you can do so. And with that, the chilling tale of the Velisca Axe Murders remains etched in the pages of history, a story that intertwines the lives of innocent victims, a town haunted by the echoes of a gruesome night, and the relentless pursuit of justice that seems forever elusive. The suspects may have come and gone, but the darkness that descended upon Velisca that fateful night lingers, casting a shadow over the community. As we close this episode on the Velisca Axe murders, the questions persist, and the search for answers endure. What drove a murderer to claim the lives of eight innocent victims? Why did the town of Velisca fall prey to such senseless violence, leaving scars that linger to this day. But the Velisca Axe murders remain an unsolved mystery, a cryptic puzzle that continues to captivate the imagination. So join us as next time we delve into another enigma, exploring the realms of the unknown and the ever-evolving tapestry of true crime. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback for us or a suggestion of a case or a criminal to cover on an upcoming episode, you can reach us on Instagram at historical true crime pod or by email at historical true crime pod at gmail.com. And we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.